0: You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a physician and editor-in-chief of Maine, Maine Home Design, Old Port, Ageless, and Moxie Magazines. Love, Maine Radio show summaries are available at lovemaineradio.com, grownupgirl.com where you can get personalized guidance and encouragement for growing a simple yet vibrant life through free advice, workshops, and mentoring programs with local experts. You deserve to shine. Go to grownupgirl.com now to learn about our available programs and classes designed just for you in the Portland area. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port, at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the works of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Fred Sirione, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormaine.com. Love Maine Radio is also brought to you by Arstel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where everybody is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out shop with us in person or online at aristelle.com.
1: Fly Fisher Evelyn King is a founding director of the Sebago Trout Unlimited's Women's Fly Fishing Group. She also serves on Sebago Trout Unlimited's board of directors and volunteers with Casting for Recovery, a fly fishing instructional program for breast cancer survivors. Thanks for coming in today. Oh, I'm honored. Thank you for inviting me. One of the reasons that uh, we were interested in having you in, at least one of the reasons I was interested in having you in, is that one of the ways that my father, who's a family doctor, used to uh, decompress after having taken care of patients and my nine younger brothers and sisters was to go fishing along the Royal River. And he was not a fly fisherman, but I remember this very clearly, that there was something about the water that really um, gave him great calm and great peace. I didn't really quite get that as a child, you know, why one would do that, but it seems like you get that, because otherwise oh. you wouldn't be doing the work that you do.
2: Absolutely. Um, when you're on the water, you're living in the moment. You you appreciate what's around you. It slows you down, and especially for someone that is, uh, has a job that requires a lot of thinking or stress, um, when you get on the river, it you put that aside. It's like um, meditation or like yoga. You live in the moment, and the The double reward is that it de-stresses you, but it also, um, the more you live in the moment and notice what's around you, the better fisherman you are. And you start to see the bugs on the water. You start to uh, really see what's going on in nature, see the water patterns, and it just tunes you in and you become a much better
1: fisherman. So I can see that. You've been doing this with women specifically, but you've you've been basically doing fly fishing your entire life not not just with women Mm -hmm. right so you see
2: the benefit for everybody really absolutely um I fished with my husband who was then my boyfriend um when we were you know I was a teenager and um he laughs about it because I loved I always want to be outdoors I love to be outdoors but I was primarily a runner like Joni Samuelson um but I I would go fishing with him because I wanted to do things with him and I would try. But if ever another man showed up on the river, like if we were in a river or on a pond in a boat, if another man showed up, I would tuck the rod away. <clears throat> I thought um, that I wasn't good enough to be fishing, and I was embarrassed. So I loved to fish, but I was really a, a shy fisherman. And he kept encouraging me, um, telling me that you know it doesn't matter. You don't need to cast well. You know, you, you do as well as anyone else on the river. And I think that's why I eventually figured out that a way to give back was to encourage other women um, to take on that risk as well. Um, to to not be afraid and not feel like they, not to be intimidated and not not to follow their passion because they, you know, other people were watching them.
1: It's interesting that you would find that intimidating given that you were one of the early classes of women to integrate at Exeter, and then were in one of the early classes of women to integrate at Bowdoin, where you were in the same class with Joni Benoit Samuelson, and yet you got on the river with men and somehow you felt like it wasn't your place? Wow, that's a good question, or a good comment. I'm also uh,
2: a perfectionist. Somewhat of a perfectionist, and I think when I do things, I really want to figure them out. Um, and when I was fishing, uh, what really got me motivated to to get better at fishing um, was I would watch other people fish, and I didn't understand why they would put the fly, you know, under the bank along the other side of the river. Why were they not fishing at the, you know, below us? You know, how did they know which fly to put on? Um, how did they know to get their fly to land just right? And as a somewhat of a perfectionist, I I knew I couldn't do what they were doing, and so I I wanted to watch. I think, and that, but it gave me a lifetime of learning to try to figure those things out.
1: I actually think that this is there is something a little bit gender oriented about that because from what I understand. Um, Female physicians often feel like they are imposters when they're early on in their careers. And there's something called the imposter syndrome, whereas male physicians are more likely to believe that they know enough and feel confident in the work that they are doing. Absolutely, And I suspect this is probably true across other fields, but it's interesting that what you're describing that and i don't i i don't know that this is the case but i just wonder if there is a gender predisposition here
2: you might be right because i know a number of uh, men that i've met through the years that are avid fishermen and have fished all their lives and it hasn't been their passion to figure out all the flies they know five or six flies and they know one stretch of river and they're very confident of that and i um and i that imposter syndrome is uh, I definitely felt like an imposter. Um, but it didn't keep me from doing it. It just slowed down my uh, uh, risk taking you know, when, when other people
1: were around. You are also a fourth generation camp director at a girls camp. Yes. So you've been responsible for encouraging young women from an early age to go out and do the things that made them happy, and regardless of whether there's a gender orientation to their choice.
2: Right, right. And we always laughed. Um, my grandfather, who was the second generation um, camp director, camp owner of um, Camp O'Hilo, he always said there's nothing women can, can't can do that men can do. It just sometimes it needs a few more bodies. You know, we would be moving these huge docks on the beach to get them in the water, and You know sometimes we put 30 people 30 women around the dock to move it you know we didn't need a tractor we just you know got enough woman power together um yeah i've i've always felt really strongly about empowering women and um i have two daughters and i was raised from the time i was two at the summer camp for girls all the way up through um, to being a counselor and a camp director and and i raised our children the same way on um there and I just always felt like it was such a positive environment um but it wasn't ever about you know women being better or stronger or anything it was just having women be in their own environment as a community and empowering each other and not comparing themselves um to the opposite gender during those informative years
1: um so we're, we're in an interesting time now, because you've been doing this work for a long, long while trying to empower women, and yet we, many young women are feeling like we're not far enough along. Mm,
2: right. It is interesting. Um, I think people are becoming more aware I don't have the answer for that one.
1: I don't either. No. That's why I was asking you because I figured maybe you had some insights based on the work that you've been doing. Yeah.
2: I think my approach has always been to work in collaboration with men, like with Trout Unlimited um, when I started there, it was basically all men in the, you know, in the meeting room and I didn't go in saying you know I'm a woman I am strong I just went in saying you know how can I help you bring more women into into the fold you know let's let's expand this and um, well they and they asked me to do that and it was just such a treat and so I think and I've had the men help us with a lot of events um, and they've been really welcoming they they have been so supportive Um, so I feel like in my life I've gotten so much more done by um, collaborating with you know with all across the community you know regardless of gender or nationality or anything rather than um, uh, being confrontational about it Um, not that that's a bad way at all it's just a different way and I I just have benefited from collaborations
1: I I feel the same way I have a I have two daughters also and a son. So my son is my oldest child, and then my middle child is 22, and I have a 17-year-old, and it really never made sense for me. And I have five brothers and a father who I adore. It never made sense for me to be confrontational and to be blaming these men around me for Mm. problems that women were experiencing. And I don't know that this is what's happening now, in our culture, with every young woman, but I, I definitely am sensing some friction mm. with with some of what's happening, and it's painful. It th- is because I think specifically of my own son, and I would never want him to feel responsible for things that an entire gender is possibly being blamed for.
2: Right. Yeah. No. It's. It's. I. I have a son and two, and the two daughters as well, and. Um, I just I love the fact that women can be treated equally should be treated equally and um, I I like to think it, of it just on the positive um, side that it's so wonderful what we can do to empower our our youth our you know I have grand a granddaughter now you know empower our grandchildren be role models and and. It's not breaking down barriers, but just opening doors of possibility. You know, look, you can go to Trout Unlimited and be one of the first women in the group, and then other women will follow. And, and it, eventually I'll hope to take my granddaughter with me to, um, to Trout Unlimited. Um, yeah, just to be uh, inspiration and a mentor and try to take that approach.
1: Tell me about Trout Unlimited. I'm sure that there are people who are listening that don't have a good sense of what that organization is or does.
2: Um, it's a national organization. Um, there are 400 chapters in within the U.S. Maine has five. Um, I belong to Sebago Trout Unlimited, and we have about um, 600, um, 650 members. And it's just a wonderful organization. Um, I think a lot of people that are just in the audience that aren't really participating in conservation are there because they love to fish and they and through fishing they've really gained an appreciation for how important it is to have clean cold water and to keep not uh, keep invasive species out of the water and um, take down dams and open fish passageways. Um, Our group has been instrumental in reclaiming five ponds in the state of Maine and by that I mean um, taking the evasive species out and opening the cleaning the habitat so that the native brook trout can um, can spawn and grow and not be eaten by invasive species. Um, we've also done uh, helped with two dam removals and that's so exciting because you're opening up the waterways you know sea run brook trout can come in from the ocean but often they like on the Mousem River or the Royal River they can only go as far as the first impediment, and and so Trout Unlimited is looking at all these river systems and trying to figure out and collaborating with the state of Maine and National TU and National Inland Fisheries and Wildlife and Maine fishing wildlife um, to try to find ways to fund the removal of dams or safe passage around them. Um, so it's a very dynamic group. There's a core group of people. Um, Steve Hines is on our board and he um, he sort of organizes the conservation part and he has developed this whole team that helps him now um, grant writing and organizing um, with towns and with um, the water water quality people, you know, just trying to collaborate to to help pull these things off
1: tell me about the work that you do with casting for recovery
2: oh that's so rewarding it's um, I got asked I was friends with Bonnie holding Um, I have been for years and years and she has annually held a casting for recovery retreat for breast cancer survivors Um, and I tried to get into the program for a couple years and she always had more volunteers than she needed and so it motivated me to get my guides license so that I was qualified so she couldn't say no Um, and eventually I got to go I've been going for about five years to help on the weekend retreats Um, but it's the whole combination of um, getting into nature getting women into nature breaking the pattern of thought by um, exposing them to a new sport, meeting new people, and developing that bond. Um, And then fishing is, fly fishing especially, is therapeutic. As you know, being a doctor, the motion of casting is therapeutic for people that have had surgery on their breasts. Um, But I think the community that's built on that three-day weekend is just amazing. And I've read the comments that people have made afterwards that it sometimes has changed their lives because it gives them something beyond their illness and their and their current situation to dream about to think about um, to it's a peaceful place so it's been um, you know I've been helping for five years and then um, I a couple of times I got sort of um, discouraged at my skills because casting looks like a simple thing but it, it's hard to teach it without going down these rabbit holes and I wanted to learn how to teach it in a really simple positive way Um, and so that inspired me to get my uh, casting certification to be a a certified casting instructor um, just so that I could give back you know it's not something I do as a career but I just wanted to make that experience as rewarding and simple and stress-free as possible for the girls
1: what does that entail to get one's casting certification? For me, it was a two-year
2: process of really intense practice. Um, I, I went to Elo Beans and uh, Rod McGarry um, and Macaulay Lord. Uh, Macaulay went to Bowdoin as well. Um, they were instructors in a program, and I did it two years in a row to, to sort of uh, uh, um, reinforce what I was learning. Um, the skills the specific skills needed to teach casting but along the way it's really to perfect your own casting um, because you need to be put yourself out there talk about risk-taking you know put yourself out there uh, to show what a good cast looks like what people are inspired to to try to learn um, and then I for for two years of um, practicing Rod McGarry was my mentor and we met Um, a couple times a month at Payson Park. And then I would cast... I work in Portland, and I would jump in the car at ledge breaks and go to um, the West End or Payson Park or um, Back Bay um, with my fly rod and my cones and my hula hoops, and I would just practice accuracy and distance casting. And I also liked doing that because people would stop and ask me about it. And it was a way to show a woman um, doing something that men would usually do and also um you know just bring awareness to fly fishing um so that was a, and then the the whole process culminates with um, a written test and a oral um, practice test which is harder than anything i've done in my whole life it just being ready for that moment and being calm enough um, and you really have to You have to perfect um your skill in you know for any weather any wind conditions Um, when i passed it i was ecstatic and i remember i did it with another girl um laney and the two of us both passed we went down to massachusetts and passed it and on the way home we were driving there was this full moon in front of us and i said laney we did it and every time you see that full moon for the rest of your life you need to feel that sense of empowerment and just you know believe that you can do it it was wonderful
1: it's interesting that you have gone in this direction of fly fishing because in your parallel life you are a commercial real estate paralegal at Monaghan Leahy so you have this very intellectual and very technical aspect in your work life and then you have an intellectual and technical aspect to your other life, but it's also, there's a mindfulness to that, to that second life, I guess. Right. Do you think that you were seeking something like that? Do you think you were seeking a counterbalance? Oh, always, always. My um, work path,
2: um, I've always, I I love to read, I love to learn, and I really like to be a sleuth. Um, I do due diligence in my work. but it's the same skill set that you use on the river. But um, I've been working in Portland for Monaghan Leahy for 10 years um, this summer, and it's been wonderful. They've been so supportive of what I do. Um, and I have friends, Tom Leahy is a big fisherman. Um, so we are able to share that passion, um, you know, talking about what we do on the weekends. But um, when I started 10 years ago, Prior to that, I had worked for myself, doing the same type of work, but I had always dictated my own schedule. And so when it was a nice day, I took off the middle of the day and I was outside. And I always managed to um, put work in with, um, in the fitted in between other things that I did with the kids or you know, did with um, fishing. So when I started in a job, a real job, it was my first real job, um, where I had to leave the house at seven in the morning and work a long day. I got home at seven at night. Um, The number one priority was to have a window, and they laugh about this, but I said I really could not work in a room without being able to see the outdoors at least, and then um, number two priority was to make sure that every moment on the weekend counted, that I could be outside, um, that I really would um, treasure, feel so grateful for that time I had outside, and so it co- no coincidence that it, 10 years ago was really when I went full force into fishing on the weekends and, and into everything fishing related um, to counterbalance the inside work.
1: This is probably not a relevant question, but I'm just kind of interested. I'm a little nosy sometimes. Why did you decide to go from this other life that you had to this full-time job? Oh. Um, I... Uh, I am a
2: real estate broker as well as a title abstractor. Um, and what I did prior to working at Monaghan Leahy was going from courthouse to courthouse, um, pulling books and doing research. But right about that time, two things happened. And one is that they put the books all online so that it was digital, so that people could stay in their office to do the research. It was um, I was a dinosaur. I've, I was of that era of the private, um, you know, independent title abstractors. And there are very few now because people can do the work from their office. And then also there was a slump in the real estate market, and I was doing primarily residential real estate uh, research then, and it really took a nosedive. Um, and my husband was a, is a commercial lobsterman, and at the same time, um, the lobstering industry was kind of floundering and so I just decided that uh, it was time for a new adventure um, fun to be in Portland I really was excited to come and work at Portland and I, when I interviewed with um, Tom Leahy at Monahan Leahy I was just really excited about the possibility of being in a team you know I'd done work mostly on my own I had a few abstractors that worked for me for a while but um, suddenly to be part of a community and I think you know, that's always been a common theme in my life. So it intrigued me and I have really enjoyed it. Never, never questioned that decision for a second.
1: Well, I guess it is actually kind of relevant because most people in their lives now um, are going to have several iterations of their selves. So you can believe when you graduate from Odin, as you did and I did, that you're going, to, your life is gonna look a certain way. And then things happen, and you adjust, and you sometimes become a different version of your earlier self, and I and that's actually okay, and it's a, actually a good thing, and maybe it's really important for um, the new graduates of Bowdoin to understand that that there's not really any wrong choice. Right.
2: So every every downside, everything that seems like a conflict in your path is apt to lead to something more powerful, more more relevant to your life and it um, and I think you have to approach life that way it just see it see every challenge as an opportunity to grow and um, when I think of what has happened in the last 10 years by that decision it's just uh, it's mind-boggling so it is you you, and I I don't know what the next story is Um, I don't know where you know in 10 years from now what I'll be doing Um, but I I think it's very important to not not feel so uh, strongly that you have to make a choice that you stick with the rest of your life
1: i also have noticed that particularly in maine most people have lots of they wear lots of different hats so um, someone can be a commercial fisherman and they can also be a filmmaker someone can be a chef and they can also be a singer-songwriter. I mean it's a very interesting thing that in this and it, it seems like Maine is is very much fostering of that creative spirit.
2: Absolutely um, and and the irony is that I was an art major at Bowdoin and our, the, as an art major that didn't prepare me for working in a law firm at all but it um, but that theme has been underlying because I um, prior to getting into the fishing wholeheartedly I was doing a lot with jewelry um, but at the same time Working as a title abstractor, um, and then working at the summer camp for as a camp director. I think Maine is is that way. You can Maine is also so special because it's a small community, so you can really make a difference. You know, my voice is not, um, you know, it is not going to carry, you know, forever and ever. But it does in Maine. I can have an impact. You can have an impact. Um, this show is fabulous, and it um, by living in a state where um, our voices can be heard. It just feels like we can make more of a difference in all the different directions we go in.
1: You've been coming to Maine since you were a child really, but you moved to Maine when you were 12. Yes. And you're originally from Montreal. Yes.
2: My my mother um, is from um, was from um, the United States and went to McGill to school. She was a skier and she met my father who was from Canada. And so they, um, when they got married, they settled in Canada, in Montreal. And so I have fond memories of skiing in the St. Laurent, uh, Laurentians and um, we lived on, you know, on the water. Um, but but every summer we came down to camp, to the um, Luther Gulick camps. Um, And so, when I think of my memories of childhood, it's much more about being in the woods on Sebago Lake, building fairy houses out of twigs and um, pine cones and learning to canoe and being outdoors. Um, So when my parents decided to move to Maine, I was was thrilled. It just has, um, yeah, Maine is a really special place.
1: For women who might be interested in learning about fly fishing what would you suggest
2: oh well i mean obviously i'd love to have anyone that's interested join our um women's fly fishing group um we uh you know we we don't charge for the events we have i mean up till now we haven't we have monthly meetings um we're just trying to provide a a very um uh social community of uh energetic, enthusiastic women that want to learn a new skill or, you know, some are, are good fly fishermen, uh, women that want to learn additional things. And a lot of the women that come to our group, uh, meetings are brand new to the sport. Um, I, it's really exciting to me. I, I can think of a number of, a handful of people that have, um, started fishing because of our group and have just been so grateful for, um, that community and that, um, uh, empowerment and the enthusiasm um, you know of everybody that's around that's helping with the group Um, other ways uh, you know there are wonderful fishing shows like uh, the um, Sebago Trout Unlimited has an annual banquet banquet, uh, where we provide speakers that talk about fishing and provide um, auction items to bid on that sometimes include casting instructions or guiding the Western Maine, um, fly fishing show is coming up in a few weeks, in a month or so. Um, and that's a great, um, thing too, but it, anybody can start fishing. I mean, it's, it's, a. we're trying to break down the barriers in making people realize that it's accessible. I mean, you can fish in the Royal river, um, you fish, you know, in, in the ocean, um, in Maine, you can fish, um, just about anywhere, and you can buy a package of gear for under $100 at Lowe's Beans or probably Cabela's. Um, you don't need to have fancy equipment, and you don't need to be able to cast perfectly. I mean, you can fly fish with a, you know, six feet of leader out at the end of, the, of your rod and just as if you're playing with a cat, um, you know, with a little toy. Um, you can just tease the fish and have joy just doing that.
1: Evelyn King is a founding director of the Sebago Trout Unlimited's Women's Fly Fishing Group. She also serves on the Sebago Trout Unlimited's Board of Directors and volunteers with Casting for Recovery, a fly fishing instructional program for breast cancer survivors. Thank you so much for the work you're doing, and thanks for coming in. Oh,
2: my honor. Thank you for having me.
0: Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, Art Collector Maine, and by GrownupGirl.com. Our editorial producer is Kate Gardner. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasick, Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Andrea King, Kevin Thomas, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.